Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. So we were talking the other day about this Astro scandal and things like that and everything. So it was really more so like everything that was going on, things about it, things that were happening and stuff. And I mean, it's just like a, it's a crazy event to me. It blows my mind still. It's just, I don't know. I freak out. Um, but now you're going to talk about the actual proof, like the substance behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that like, I, I've heard people like try to touch on and be like, Oh, well the numbers change. Like we, we talked in, in, in our last uh, meeting about how each individual players, their numbers dropped off after the cheating, you know, kind of stopped. And then even after the punishments came in, numbers dropped off even further, which indicates further cheating. Um, with this, we're not necessarily talking about individual players' numbers because players can like, you know, I'm going to have a really good year and not care about my team. We're going to talk about how the team chose what moments to uh, implement this cheating, to, to use this cheating to gain advantages. And uh, it's infinitely more uh, demonstrative in, in the season that they won the World Series. It's infinitely more clear that what they were doing uh, had serious consequences in those moments. Uh, in seasons after that, they had to disguise when they were going to use this. They had to use it a little bit more selectively a couple times a game a little bit harder to pick up on it but when you measure their overall offensive level against the level that they were able to produce under pressure uh it is it doesn't align in in the slightest um and this has not been talked about elsewhere there have been a lot of people who are like oh there's no specific proof showing that the astros you know having all of these hitters hit like this actually influenced any ball games and the owner of the team the owner of the team says that he doesn't view their 2017 championship as illegitimate or tainted flawed or otherwise he of course but it was his idea yeah i mean like it's so clear i mean like i i i don't uh, this is you know I have to use like the word allegedly here. And this is not related to something else that I'm going to be talking about with regards to that. But it's just, it's, it's very suspicious mm-hmm. that you're a team that centers around people who have really good hit tools and then have a scandal where your batters know what balls are coming. Like, how do you think that's going to get the hit tool to play? Like that's, the, the, if, if you have a bunch of guys who, you know, they swing and miss a ton, but they got power. Whenever they touch it, it's gone. And then they know what pitches are coming. You know, that might help them a certain degree. But if you are already great at contact, you know, I just, it's suspicious. It's very suspicious. Uh, but we're going to get into specifically uh, a couple of different statistics. Uh, and I want to introduce those to you. The first statistic is called WPA. Yep. Uh, you can find these on the Fangraphs library. Um, now, WPA, just like the next number, which is RE24, uh, they are win probability numbers. Uh, these numbers are highly influenced by the situation. Um, without digging into it and going through the pages and pages 
of uh, explanation through the Sabermetrics library on fan graphs. Um, this is basically uh, WPA. Uh, I'll explain RE24 right after. So WPA per fan graphs, in quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, WPA, win probability added captures the change in win expectancy, how much you expect to win, from one plate appearance to the next and credits or debits the player based on how much their action increased their team's odds of winning. And then, you know, we can get into how the numbers they use for that, but you get the, the general idea that it, it gives a player or takes away a player's credit for how they produce in those situations when the game is on the line, guy on second base, tie game, you know, one run difference, you know, all of those types of situations. And it measures different situations uh, at different levels, uh, according to how probable or improbable uh, a run is of scoring. Um, so obviously uh, this is one of the more uh, specific statistics in showing how players can produce uh, under pressure. That being said, just because this is, you know, really good at showing what a player did, it's not good at projecting what a player will do under pressure. So that's something that is a really big distinction that I think I really need to make here um, because ability through approach will tell you who will do well in the future uh, in those types of situations, um, not what they did in the past because their ability could have changed, their approach could have changed. Um, so that is WPA. RE24, which is the other statistic we're going to be looking at here, uh, RE24, run expectancy based on 24 base out stakes. Uh, I can do this without even explaining, like, word for word, what Fangraphs gives you the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the full uh, uh, example of a, the, the full explanation of what it means. Basically, there are 24 different uh, situations uh, between outs and runners on base and uh, that can happen 24 different states so one out one man on first one out one man on first and man on second and based on all of these what a batter does they will be credited or debited um, for what it does based on the situation so both of these are very situational statistics um I, you know, I, I think I should actually explain word for word what Fangraph says since I yeah. did it for, for WPA. I'll do it for RE24. Run expectancy based on 24 base out states measures the change in run expectancy from the beginning of a player's plate appearance to the end of it. Run expectancy is the average number of runs an average team would be expected to score during the remainder of the inning based on the location of the base runners and the number of outs. So it, it, that's a much more clear version of this. Um, yeah, what a player does at the plate based on those things, uh, the 24 uh, base out states. Um, so both of these statistics are, are absolutely fantastic in their own ways. Um, which one do I prefer? I prefer WPA. Uh, I know a lot of people who prefer RE24. Um, and, and hey, you know, if you want to get in, you know, the comments and explain why you think RE24 is better than WPA, 
uh, I'll, I'll see you down there. Uh, I'd love to have that conversation actually, to be completely fair, because uh, I, I, I love this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more about projecting what players are going to do moving forward, but it, it really helps understanding, you know, the key differences between two numbers that are as similar as this. So yeah, let's get into it. Um, so going back to what the Astros then did with these numbers, let's start with 2017. So the top, let's say five teams in WPA, you had the nationals that year, they had a 3.98 WPA as a team. Then you have the twins who were a decent amount ahead of them, a 4.23 WPA. You have the athletics who were also a decent amount ahead of then of the twins. They had a 5.11 WPA and the Dodgers, they had a huge lead on the athletics mm-hmm. and the athletics who were at 5.11. The Dodgers were at 8.09. That's a pretty big lead, but the Dodgers were nowhere close to the Astros. And look, the Dodgers having as big of a lead as they did. That's one thing. The Astros had brace yourself while the Dodgers had, eight basically 8.09 the Astros had 14.36 that's not suspicious at all that's a different okay the the Dodgers were three points ahead the Astros are six points ahead of the second best team in this that is a massive difference. I, I'm sorry. Like, if you added up, I'm pretty sure the teams nine through like five, you'd you'd get close to what the Astros did. Like that is, I, I, it, it, that that should that should alert. Like any, any sort of red flags that you know, like yeah, that's a big one right there. Okay, so now let's let's check out RE24. RE24, the fifth best team, the Dodgers, had a 59.8. The Cubs had a 72.3. The Nationals had a 79.1. The Yankees had a 99.7. They were great that year. Should have won the World Series. So I take it personally. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I do. I do. I really do. <laughs> no, I know you do. <laughs> oh man. But the, yeah, the Yankees were just like barely, they were almost at a hundred. They were at 99.7. The Astros, however, were at 172.2. Dude, that's like a, that's a double. It's a, it's, it's, it's double. If you added the, the, the Yankees who are in the, in the two slot, right. To the Cubs who are in the, in the four slot you'd still not be able to get to where the, the Astros were in the one slot. And I think the crazy question to like beg is like, do you think that like athletes could just be that good one year that it just like, no. it's just a no. massive triple, like the, like the stats no. are just. It's not possible. No, um, I know. Yeah. I agree. Like the, what you'd have to do is you'd have to find guys who like the league like the league couldn't do anything the first year. And then maybe the second year, the league would be able to account for. So you'd be having to identify guys who could be great big league players based off of just their current ability who are like double A. Uh, And then you'd have to also develop guys who are like college level players 
to like star levels. And then of course you would have to be able to have the bench pieces to complement that at the big league level already. Uh, and somehow also be able to do the same thing with the pitching. I mean, again, this doesn't, you know, talk about the pitching, but they won the world series uh, in large part, not just because of their bats, but because they had a bunch of arms in the bullpen and in the rotation, but we're going to get into why that might be suspect as well a bit later. So uh, now this is just the first part. So in, in the subsequent years, 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. it's a little less obvious that the cheating impacted, you know, these, these situations, for instance, the Red Sox used this system to a certain degree, just like the Astros did uh, in 2018. Um, in fact, there's certain evidence that since Cora, Alex Cora left the Astros after they won the World Series and went to the Red Sox, that him leaving um, you know, possibly made it so the Astros were less inclined to use this system which would also make sense for the lull in production in 2018 before the cheating ramped back up in 2019. And, you know, everybody's numbers were terrible again before they were caught and their numbers crashed back down. I wouldn't even say back down. I think the numbers that these guys are putting up, they're abysmal. There's no real, there's no excuse for putting up those numbers as a big leaguer in many of their cases. Um, in Josh Reddick's case, in Yuli Gurriel's case, in Jose Altuve's case, in Correa's case after the first month, which was like five games, in Bregman's case in the second half of the season, he was barely okay as a big leaguer. Um, and those are all the guys that are, that are the cheaters that you know were still on their team last year. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, you, you got caught. Um, but yeah, so next year, okay, the Red Sox, they get Alex Cora. He becomes their manager. They win the World Series. They're caught for using this system. Cora was also suspended for one season. He's gotten hired back, however, by the Red Sox because, well, that's what happens when you don't go down hard enough with consequences where you don't, you know, really ban these people. You know, the, the, the manager of the Astros in 2017, he's now the manager of the Tigers. Tigers hired him. So he's back in baseball too. It's a mess. It's an utter See, mess. I love this. We're coming. So, so the thing is, is that, and if the listeners are, are queuing it in together or keying it in together, it's like, we're coming full circle here. Um, because in the last episode, we went on a whole spin about how the White Sox people were banned for life and everything. So it's like, now you see like these people obviously, and we're obviously getting into it. Like the, the like, that these people eventually admitted to cheating yep. and now they're slowly coming back into baseball and having a presence in baseball. And it's kind of like this odd thing where it's like, what, well, where are the consequences? What happened? And wh- what happens because there are no consequences? Exactly. So the Astros, the Astros dipped down to a very normal number with WPA uh, in the second year when, when Cora left, but funny enough, the Red Sox went to a number that didn't make sense. So whereas, you know, you had the Astros that were about 5-3, Cardinals who were about 7-3, Brewers who were 7-3 as well, and the Yankees, again, who had a very good team that year, five point, or sorry, not 9.5. There's dyslexia showing up. I don't even know if I'm dyslexic. I should probably check that. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yikes. Uh, I get, I get I, that too. You just read yeah. ahead and it's like... <laughs> like, why did I do that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the Yankees had a 9.5, which was a very good one that year. And then the Red Sox, who seemingly adapted what Cora brought in, were 13.0, which is three full points and a half, basically. Actually, not even basically. Three and a half exactly higher than what the Yankees were at in the second spot. So there's something going on there. Maybe not to the level that the Astros did it, but there's something going on there. Uh, and so let's take it to RE24. Let's see what's going on with RE24. Where we're, okay, so the, you have the Astros right there. You have the Yankees right there. You have the Red Sox right there. And you have the Dodgers right there. That makes sense because you have the two cheating teams. And then you have the two real guys, the two, the, the non-pretenders, the, 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 the pretenders and the contenders. <laughs> and, and those are the big four that year. Uh, the Red Sox actually, that surprises me. The Red Sox were outdistanced even by the Dodgers in RE24. But that being said, RE24 is run expectancy. It's not win expectancy, which is why I currently prefer win probability added because that's game-based, score-based. Uh, it's not just situation-based. But I can understand situational hitting is also... It's, the, it's a different level of clutch. So, all right, let's take it to 2019. And I'm going to try to go a little bit faster here because we don't want to keep you all night. All right, or all day. You know, heck, this could be your morning. This could yeah. be your drive to work. <laughs> it, be could, like, hey, it could. Sorry, I guess I'll see you later. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got you. Uh, so, yes, uh, let's see. WPA, let's start off with that 2019, all right? What, wow, look at that. The Dodgers and the Yankees outdistanced the Astros, which means the Astros either uh, didn't use it as much during the regular mm-hmm. season or they just decided to whip it out in the playoffs, which that honestly makes a lot more sense to me, which is, you know, if you're starting to really get caught for this thing, which uh, I also want to amend something that I was incorrect with in the last video. Disclaimer, it wasn't 19 teams that reported the Astros it was 11 to 12 teams that reported the Astros. Mm. So if you have that many teams, still a lot of teams. That's still a lot teams of teams. That doesn't, that doesn't really matter to me. You, yeah. you could have told me, you could have told me, you could have still told me 19 teams and I would have still been like, oh, true, or, or, or whatever. It, it's 11 to 12 teams is still a lot, dude. It's, I, it's. I want to make sure that like I'm, I'm being like, like for instance, I, I named the Braves guy who got banned for life. I called him John Coppola which I believe is like a, a movie director or something like mm-hmm. that. I believe it's John Coppolella. Coppola. Uh, yeah. So I, and I, I might be even pronouncing that right, but uh, I, I don't want to be incorrect with anything really here. So uh, at least, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting into, you know, may be true, may not be true. Then I just will whip out allegedly uh, because we just got to be careful there. Um, but yeah, no. So the Astros, they had the third best in baseball. And guess what? They wiped out the Yankees. Like, the Yankees, I don't know if you know how the Yankees lost in, in 2019, but they were losing, and it was like the ninth inning. And the second baseman, LeMahieu, he hit a home run, and it tied the game, right? Mm-hmm. So guess what happens in the next inning? They hit a home run, game's over. I'm sorry. This, like, a lot of people will say, oh, but, you know, Chapman, who was a pitcher at the time, he gave a meatball to Altuve. First off, Altuve, we have seen, got like 77% less, like worse from, from that year to this year. So Altuve's not that good. 
secondly, it's not just he got that much worse, is that he was 33% below league average. And Chapman is quite frankly one of the best five relievers in the sport, and he has been for the last like seven years. Um, he throws 100 miles an hour, you know? So if, you're, if, if you are, are expecting 100 and then he breaks that slider in on you and you're 33% below league average, you're not going to be able to hit that for a home run unless you know it's coming. And it was also a high slider for somebody as short as Altuve. So I'm sorry, that was cheating. He knew that was coming. You, you look, watch the video again. Anyone who's here, watch the video again of him doing that and watch Chapman's reaction as he comes around third base. Chapman is standing there, planted in his spot, smiling ear to ear. Hmm? What do you think about that? Huh? What do you think about that? And then, of course, there's the whole thing is once he stepped on home plate and it's the game-winning home run and all of that, and all the press comes out, he has to go into the dugout to change his shirt. And that's where the whole allegations of them possibly using buzzers to know what pitches are coming, uh, which is even scarier because if it's under the uniform, how are you going to detect it? Do you have to strip down every athlete before they pat them down or something? Yeah, like can they not go back to the dugout or clubhouse like, what, what do I have to have them in, in pens? Like, what, what do we have to do to avoid? Like, do you have to go through a, a, you know, like airport scanner for metal so that you, right? Like, it, it, it's, in, it's nuts. It's nuts what they're doing. Uh, but it's clear, it's clear that something happened there where they knew what pitch was coming. Just period. It's clear. Um, so then you have the Yankees, who are the better team, clearly. And you have the Dodgers, who also, I think, were the better team, clearly. The Nationals were only able to defeat the Astros in the World Series, and they've admitted to this, by creating a system that fed the Astros false signs while their players knew what signs. And they had to keep changing the signs in order to get the system to work. And they say that's the reason they won the World Series, which is, I mean, I'm sure, Chris, you got something to say about that. I mean, that's crazy, dude. I mean, like, to... I mean, that's just like it's it's so loaded. So for, first off, it's like if so they 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 the Nationals obviously openly like stated this right. Like they yes. they they yeah. obviously openly stated it. So yeah. so it's it's kind of like so loaded in the sense of like you have a team that's like yeah we won the World Series, but like we knew the other team was cheating. Uh, so what we did was we falsified signs of what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, which obviously proves that the other team was cheating and uh, that's how we won because we threw them off. And I'm like, yep. yo, there's just too much for me. There's like way too much thinking that a goes into that to like, yeah. like it, it, just, it's, it makes you think that like, if they're using that in order to win a first off, is that even a baseball game? It's, you know it's not, mean? it's not, it's not a baseball game. It's <laughs> or, or, and, and B if that's the case, right. Do you think that the legitimate nationals, the legitimate nationals, like not having to use that system and, and just playing as the nationals, do you think they could have stood up against the Yankees? You know, do you think they could have gone toe to toe with, with what the Yankees were bringing that year? Like, that's what's so frustrating as a Yankee fan, because very legitimately, the Yankees could have won the World Series in 2017 and 2019. Mm -hmm. And as like, you know, I'm a 90s kid short, you know, but I was born in 92. So I don't really remember anything from like the 90s championships other than the fact that they were just really good. 
You know, one of my first baseball memories is of, you know, the 2001 World Series. The, the, they played the infield in and Mariano and then and Luis Gonzalez with the, and then bounce it. And, it's a, and they win the World Series. And then it was years of the Red Sox winning multiple championships. Mm-hmm. And then the Yankees missed the playoffs. And then finally we win a championship with the old guard, which was beautiful. I was there that day, by the way, I was oh, at the game. I was at the game. Well, if you look at the, at the, the, any sort of photos of the game and you look out into left field, there's a little cut in that, that is kind of left. It, it doesn't, it's not like squared to, mm-hmm. to, to the plate, like everything else. And me and my dad, we always got tickets there. Like the two of the tickets by the wall and nobody in that entire section had the brains to stand on their seat when, you know, they had won the world series and they were taking all the photos and everything was going on except for me because nobody was sitting behind me. It was just that wall. So you see in all the photos, there's just one head that's above everybody else. And that's me, that's me. (laughs) But yeah, no. So I was just like, after they won the world series, I was like, okay, are we going to do anything else? And then everybody got old. So I was like, oh, no, it's going to be so long until they build a team again. And then basically overnight, Cashman started making all of these moves. And, you know, we got Didi for nothing. We got Hicks for nothing and started developing. And all of this stuff started coming together only to have the Astros, you know, C-word block us from doing anything. Uh, Two out of three years. We would have technically – look. No team has won a World Series two years in a row since the Yankees did 99-2000. And there's been teams that appeared in the playoffs, uh, appeared in the World Series two years in a row, but they never won two in a row. If you win two in three years, like, or, or, or three in five years, like the Giants did, I, I think that's probably the, 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 the dynasty. The dynasty between the Yankees and hopefully the Yankees, <laughs> uh, but like the, the last dynasty, it was the giants. Cause they won three in five years. They won in 2010. They won in 2012. They won in 2014. That's a dynasty. But if you win two and three years, I think with the current climate and how hard it is to win a world series, I think that's, it constitutes at least a smaller dynasty or a mini dynasty, or if they win one next year, a dynasty, you know? Uh, but the, the Astros denied that they denied that of us. And, you know, I, I get why people don't want to talk about it because, you know, like the Yankees already have enough championships, mm. but like for somebody who wasn't really alive for a lot of them and who had told people that this team was capable of doing that kind of thing and who the team basically did. It, it's unforgivable. Um, on top of everything else. I mean, it makes every single world series moving forward you know, completely suspect because no consequences came down. What's to stop any team from doing a version of this? I just mentioned, I just mentioned under the uniform buzzers. Like let that set in, you know, but yeah, it's um, it's not even that. It's not even that because it's like, it's like, as you said before, it was like another team had to create a anti-cheating system so that they could win a game. And it's like, it's kind of like, if it's that well known, if it's that well known that another team is cheating and no one's doing anything about it, like what kind of culture does that foster? And I guess, you know, we were gonna kind of, we were gonna talk about this, but then we X'd it out, but I'm I'm gonna touch on it very briefly. That falls on the commissioner 
Uh, the mm. new commissioner's done a lot of great changes. Uh, we'll talk about him specifically on a different podcast, but uh, this is one of those unforgivable things. It falls on the commissioner for not coming down hard enough on the players. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to bet that during the whole negotiations and, and, and whatnot of what was going on, they knew that they were going to get caught. So I'm willing to bet that there was a fair amount of misdirection so that the players wouldn't get consequences, the owner wouldn't get consequences, the GM and the manager wouldn't get consequences. The closest thing they'd get is a one-year suspension, which is what ended up happening to them. So uh, I'm willing to bet that they, they, they had a, a system for all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then just to touch off here, they were the third best team in RE24. Uh, the only two better teams, like I said, once again, just like WPA, were the Dodgers and the Yankees who had so much talent. That that's probably the reason why they were just frankly better. Um, it, it, can, it can be that way in baseball. With teams that have as much resources as the Yankees and the Dodgers, especially as currently constructed, those are basically the two best teams in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cheat and it'll even be hard to keep pace with a team like that, especially if they're in a legitimate championship year, which, you know, I think the Yankees were. Uh, I think that the Nationals basically had a perfect playoff team, which is why they were really able to beat the Dodgers. But I also think that the Yankees had a perfect playoff team. I think they had a more perfect playoff team. But, um, yeah, you know, especially when you add on the fact that a big part of what the Nationals were doing was defense and base running. Uh, it becomes even more hard for a team like the Astros to, to do things about that because, um, you know, I'm all about having a team full of inde- indefensible skills, mm-hmm. you know, skills where it's very hard for you to stop things from happening. Like, yeah, your team only hits singles, but everybody is so fast that, you know, those singles are sending people from second home, from first to third. And what can a defender do about that? Because it's one thing to stop someone from stealing a base, like a catcher throwing to one spot. It's a whole thing where you have to run to the ball and then you have to figure out where you are and then throw to a defender and then they have to throw to the other spot. So it's two people having to figure out where they are and on the fly and adjust their throws mid throw. And you're throwing to a different spot, depending on where the ball is. Um, it makes base running play up. So uh, for a team like the nationals, I think it even fed into why they were able to beat the Astros. So um it's just, I just don't think what the Astros did in any sort of way was forgivable. Um, but I think that brings us to our next topic because this was the main topic of the video. And mm-hmm. I really just, I had to, 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 to give you guys that. But I also wanted to talk about the, the, the main, the culture of the clubhouse yep. that enables something like that. I think you, you, were, you were actually, I think, trying to bring me into that a minute ago. Yeah, uh, the, I, 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 it was a it was a perfect curve. Actually. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> it was a perfect curve. Oh, now I got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, so th- with with the look, if you're gonna be an owner, and you're gonna just say I, I don't think it impacted anything, and you hire the people that do all of these things, and it's the same message coming from their GM, and it's the same message coming from their man. Like here, okay, to give you an idea. Their GM, he doesn't want, he doesn't feel like he should receive any blame. That's his official stance on this. It's people that he hired. Okay. Um, which, okay, that's, yeah, I hope, you know. But the manager, before the series with the Yankees versus the Astros, right? 
Aaron Boone, who knew what was going on. I mean, everybody knew what was going on. Mm. He actually, like, if, if you look this up, he sat down with A.J. Hinch to make sure that there was no funny business going on. They had a gentleman's agreement that there would be no cheating. And the game with Chapman and Altuve happened a couple games later. Clearly, the Astros don't care. It's If you're an Astro, you're an Astro. You're one of us. But if you're you know, not, then we'll mislead you. We'll lie to you. We'll tell you whatever we want to tell you. Because this is the other thing. Like for years, the Yankees even brought up like publicly that the Astros were doing this. And the Astros, like their manager would like give like, okay, the Yankees accused them of doing this mid-season in 2019. And A.J. Hinch, the manager, said, if we knew it was this easy to get inside the Yankees' heads, we would have been saying stuff like this a long time ago. Like this guy is an utter scumbag Mm -hmm. and he now has a job as the manager of the Detroit Tigers who look to probably follow the Astros model because, Hey, they're only going to get a slap on the wrist if anything bad happens. And they're already the worst team in baseball and they don't exactly know how to develop talent beyond drafting guys who are really at the top of their drafts, obviously good talents. Everybody consensus thinks they are, but they're not good at doing anything else. Like I'll be very critical of the Detroit Tigers because I was a very good ball player back in the day, right? But I had not played in enough leagues. I had not gotten enough exposure. And I went down to Lakeland, Florida, and I tried out for the Detroit Tigers. No scouts came up to me and asked me my background. It wasn't about my ability. It wasn't about that. Look, it's one thing to look at a kid and be like, I don't know what he is. I don't, you know, I, I'm, look, I'm 5'11". I'm not the biggest guy, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but at my heaviest weight, I carried 188 pounds on me. So I'm, I can carry muscle. I'm very athletic. I can play center. I can play short. I was very fast back then. I could not carry muscle back then though. <laughs> I just had the frame and I could hit. Okay. And I could really throw. I, I got, they called me cannon back then. They either called me jet or cannon, depending on what league I was in. Um, but like, I, I remember cannon specifically because they wrote it on the bottom of my cap. But they never asked, like, my background. And it was a baseball league, and I had mainly played softball up to that point, and I crushed it, like, just transitioned like that. And when you go from softball to baseball and you crush it, like, that, no one does that. And they never asked about any of this. And then I got hurt, and then they tried to get me to keep playing through it. So I have a lot of issues with the way that the Tigers do, do their business. That's I don't know actually – that's yeah. totally sorry, – sorry to cut you off. That's actually totally something super crazy – um, when they try to get you to continue through, through your pain and like through your, through your injuries and stuff like that, dude, like that, that, that could be a whole other podcast episode. That- yeah, it was, it was absolutely nuts. And you know, it actually gives you a really good, like going to one of those tryouts gives you a really good idea of what like baseball is between the ages of when these kids are kids and the parents are there. Mm-hmm. And baseball is when these people are like grown adults and in organizations, it's a lot of racism a lot of racism down there in the south the people who are colored kind of stick in their area the people who are white stick in their area i'm from the north they called me new york that was my name while i was down in camp and i was made fun of mercilessly by certain racist groups and uh, i ended up just hanging out with uh, the the dark-skinned kids despite being a white boy uh because like i just couldn't be around it i was just not like that never was 
Uh, and they also thought I was funny. So there's that. <laughs> um, no, I was always the class clown. I was always getting pulled out of class. That was my issue. It was a little bit too funny. Uh, but anyway, yes, back to the Astros. A little bit of background on me there. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it runs through their entire organization. This kind of, uh, we can do whatever we want. They had a, a department of two people uh, that specifically was sending the signs. So they even knew that there was a department that's all they were doing was sending those signs mm-hmm. to the players. Like, and, and, and it's the same guys. What do you think that they're doing when you check up on them? Are you doing your job? That's all they were doing. Um, and, and that was literally what their department was meant to do. And they got, I think they got fired, but like, they could, have, they could have gotten rehired by anyone. I think they, mm-hmm. they could be within an or, any organization right now. Um, like Yuli Gurriel, I think we touched on how his numbers really fell off in the last episode. He's their first baseman. When he first came into the league in 2017, when they were in the World Series, uh, or, or I don't know, maybe it was the playoffs, but no, it was the World Series. It was the World Series. They were facing the Dodgers, and Yu Darvish was with the Dodgers at the time. And Yuli Gurriel was caught on camera like – pulling the sides of his eyes like back to make himself look Asian, Mm -hmm. which as we know is an incredibly racist thing to be doing to like make fun of Darvish. And he got caught for it. And like, you know, it was, it was a big news story for a little bit and people like, Oh no, Yuli's a good guy. And like, even Darvish was like, Oh no, it's just a different culture, you know, like just trying to like, you know, cause obviously nobody knew that they were really cheating back then. People wanted to be respectful and just, Oh, it is what it is. No, they just don't care about you if you're a terrible person. They'll bring you into the team. They mm-hmm. brought in Roberto Ozuna, who beat like his girlfriend, which leads me into the Brandon Taubman thing. Mm-hmm. So, all right. After, I believe the Astros won their World Series. Uh, Brandon Taubman. Wait, I, I, think it's in, I think it's really important to note, yes. though, that um, that's something we spoke about earlier, oh. about like a culture of cheating like yes. a culture of cheating and getting away with it. And like, this is the key point here that, that James is making is that like when you cheat, you get away with it. Everyone knows it kind of, and, and for years it fosters this kind of like untouchable kind of like ego that then gets created. And then you kind of like, people wonder why people are acting this certain way or start to develop these certain behaviors where they're acting irrationally. Um, and like, just like what, the, what he was doing, doing these yeah. like racist things and everything. And it's like, well, he can get away with cheating in a major league sport. Like he can get away with doing whatever he wants. Like, yeah. Clearly, and that like, like, like Bregman after homering against the nationals in, in the world series, like some people, they do bat flips. Okay. You know, some people they do, they do this, that, or that thing. Bregman does a lot of that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how he expresses that kind of thing where he's like, you know, I, I can do whatever I want. It's very much that type of egotistical. But a lot of guys do that. That's their confidence. That's their flair. But he actually brought the bat down all the way to first base with him. And, like, the coach was basically like, what are you doing? And he made it seem like he was handing it off to the coach. And, like, the coach like was like, what? And he dropped the bat on the field. Like, that's some of the most disrespectful stuff. Like, let go of the bat. Don't hand the bat to the coach. Don't possibly drop it on. Don't like who does that? You know, it's the same kind of behavior. Um, and, you know, we see it from like Bregman. I mentioned on the, on the last uh, podcast, like I said, if you want to really go into this, look up what Bregman said to Cody Bellinger after Cody Bellinger said his response on the Astros cheating against him and winning the World Series against him in 2017. 
uh, literally Correa curses him out on live television in an interview after cheating. Like it, it just, it, it's, this is who they are. This is the culture that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is what cheating creates. If you don't get punished, it's like, mm-hmm. all right, I can do whatever I want. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it leads straight into uh, like Roberto Ozuna was signed by, by them after doing that to his girlfriend, after putting his hands on his girlfriend mm-hmm. and what, and like, so after they ended up winning like the world series or it ended up winning a playoff series, I forget which it was. No, I know it was, it was, it was after they ended up winning. Um, yeah. And after they ended up winning against the Yankees um, after the, you know, the home run with Altuve and all of that, uh, there were reporters and some women in, you know, the clubhouse area where everybody was celebrating. And a couple of those women had on, I, I believe it was like, you know, either me too bracelets or, or cufflinks or, uh, a, a some you know uh, uh, statement of equality uh, that thankfully has been being pushed forward uh, by our society in recent years, uh, but it was it was specifically one related to women's equality and women's rights, and right in front of them, seeing those things right there, he starts whooping it up specifically. Oh, I'm so glad we got Ozuna. I'm so glad we got Ozuna. He was fired for this. Okay, this is the kind of this is the kind of culture that they got. You know, it's very clearly management, clubhouse, players, the whole thing, and they've got next to no consequences. Um, so this is the part. This is the other part that is actually a really fun story, but. It's of course allegedly. Allegedly, um, yeah, allegedly. allegedly. So, after Taubman was fired, we're speculating. For, we're speculating right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is speculation. Speculation. Yes. Yeah, so after he was fired for his comments on, you know, oh, I'm so glad we got Ozuna. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> after he was fired, a Reddit user, uh, I forgot exactly what the name was, popped up uh, over the next few days. And he started talking about how he was going to drop some information that was going to change baseball, that was going to bring down the Astros organization, that was going to expose them for who they were. Um, And we are supposing allegedly that it could possibly have been Mr. Taubman after being fired. Because you can't bring down a lot of these types of organizations that are doing these airtight operations unless Unless you're a whistleblower. Yes, exactly. Yeah, unless you're a whistleblower. And there, like literally over the next few days, all the information came out, the investigation, all of it, all of it mm-hmm. just poured out. So, um, you know, I don't know what would happen if they like actually publicly put that it was him. So I think it's good that, that this is kind of, you know, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's interesting. It could be, maybe, you know. It's interesting because if they did say that it was him, if it was, you know, right? Like Astros fans have responded to this in really terrible ways because consequences have not come down. Mm-hmm. It, it, from my experience online, and I am now not online anymore as much as I used to be because it is mind numbing, especially during a pandemic, to be online a lot. It is crazy uh, to be online. Yeah, especially in a time like this. Uh, Astros fans overall, I mean, I won't, I won't, there's a, there's a, there's a good portion of them and I want to salute you guys. 
who have been like, yeah, that's not a legitimate championship. We're so sorry to like the league. Like, this is terrible. I feel terrible. Like, you know, like, you know, like you're supporting a a fan base that cheats and you're continuing to. And uh, look, if you supported them your whole life, cool. But uh, you know, you, you, I do understand feeling bad and I, I would too, you know, I would too. If I found out my Yankees cheated, I'd want everybody on the team traded. Judge gone. I love judge, you know, but if he cheated, gone, dude, sorry. Torres gone, you know, so on and so forth. Frazier's my boy though. Even him gone. If you cheat, I'm sorry. You're not a baseball player. You might as well be playing a video game. Um, But I digress. Like allegedly, possibly, if that is Taubman, that makes one of the coolest stories. Like, because that's destroyed from the entire inside. If the Astros fans, however, knew that one of their own was doing that, given that their response to this was what it was, if any sort of serious consequences had come down, I wonder what they would do to him, you know? So this was probably in a lot of ways to protect him and not reveal all the information about like who was the, you know, whistleblower, like you say. Um, But I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's very interesting. Like connecting all these dots, especially like, Oh, well it, it was only these couple of people. And yet for years they have been getting specifically contact hitters mm-hmm. and only getting that type of player. Like no, no defensive specialist except for bench bats and at catcher, um, you know, like no ridiculous preference or starting pitching or relievers, just overall good pitching. You know, but you go for the contact hitters. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I wonder why. You know, it's all, it all is very convenient. Um, but I think that that, that, that brings us uh, to the next point because uh, we don't want to take, you know, keep this going too long. Last video, I believe, was 50 minutes. And, and mm-hmm. typically we want to give you guys about 30 minutes a piece with these things. So um, we're working point, on it, but we're still in a sweet getting, spot. We're getting there. We're getting there. Good. Cool. Um, So the next point is this. All right. I I addressed this earlier. You know, we talked about the hitters. Okay. And we talked about the front office, but we haven't really addressed the pitchers. Now, Trevor Bauer, who has his own channel on YouTube, definitely check out his channel. His channel. He has great content. He's a great pitcher. He's about to get paid. He's looking for like five or six years, I think. Used, at the beginning of the offseason, we, we knew he was looking at one-year deals. He was thinking he'd get a one-year $40 million deal or something like that. But now it's looking like he can actually get like a five, six-year, 36 to $40 million a year deal. Uh, the Mets are super interested. I could totally see that going down. And he, he loves talking about where he might end up as well. So definitely check out his channel. He's, he's great. He's great. Um, but a few years ago, he talked about how the spin rates on the Astros pitchers when, you know, from when you're not on the team to when you're joining the team, just jump. And he's, he talks about how he's done everything he can to get his own spin rates to take leaps like that, but he can't, he can't figure it out. He's like, he's done everything, you know, and this is a guy who is like, he is brilliant at, at what he does for a pitcher. He's brilliant. Um, you know, there, there's certain things I think, I obviously could help him with uh, there's holes in his thinking. Uh, I'll get into that definitely on a, 
on a, a future podcast, you know, how to help Trevor Bauer or whatever. I don't know. Um, but uh, I do think he's brilliant for, for a pitcher. N- no other pitchers that I'm aware of are as smart as him at dissecting weaknesses with hitters. So uh, credit to him. Um, but he brought up these, these spin rate changes and guys go there and, you know, like Verlander was a very, very good pitcher. He was been an ace his whole career, but he's also like 36 years old. And he was starting to tail off a little bit, you know, be more of like a number two starter, like, but who throws enough innings to basically be a number one still. And he goes to Houston and the strikeout totals go up and the spin rates go up. And, and then you have guys like, you know, Josh James and, you know, Framber Valdez and Jose Urquidy, who were never like top pitching prospects, but like they come up and all of a sudden, like their spin rates are awesome. And they're like doing amazing things that only top prospects do. And like, it's just, it's curious to say the least. Um, I don't know enough about all of that situation to say, you know, for sure there, but I also want to mention this. And I think I didn't even talk to you, Chris, about this beforehand. I was saving this for literally in podcasts. Cause I think just you'll find this, this you'll, you'll be, you'll be hyped about it. Well, I don't know about hype, but you'll, you'll find this incredibly <laughs> interesting. Mm. You'll find it, this just to be. So Bauer was on the reds last year. Okay. The Reds had Castillo, who is figuring himself out. Great stuff, great pitcher. Um, underlying metrics show that he was like one of the best pitchers in the majors last year. Um, the ERA wasn't there for one reason or another. Um, that could be bad, bad luck on balls in play. That could be like a homer rate that you know was just randomly up. Uh, basically, I don't expect his numbers to be anything close to that bad moving forward based on the underlying statistics, uh, his FIP and his EPS, his XFIP, which are much better ERA indicators than your typical ERA most of the time, both said his ERA should have been bordering on the twos. And we have one of them saying that, that's great. But if you have both of them saying that, that's your real ability. Especially if you have strikeouts like that, not a lot of walks. I mean, he's, he's one of the more talented pitchers out there, but mm-hmm. he hadn't really put it together until last year. And Sonny Gray another pitcher he had been trying to figure out who he was for a few years and then all of a sudden he has a really good year last year striking out a whole bunch of people and like so if Bauer has a career year Castillo's having a career year sort of Gray's recovering all of his ability why is that happening and I was like hmm and then I realized something their last pitcher Wade Miley guess where Wade Miley played the year before where oh no wait don't tell me astros yeah yeah so, <laughs> i was like i was like where i'm like wait no don't tell me <laughs> he, he brought the gunk he brought the gunk from the astros to the reds wow so this is what i'm trying to say about all this cheating is that if 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 you don't punish it it just keeps going it spreads and we don't know like to what degree it's going to continue to spread around the game you know because Rob Manfred's not willing to come down with the hammer or, or the Astros were just so protective about what they were doing that like just through legal loopholes, the major league baseball was just not able to go after them as hard as they could have. Like, so they just did the, what the maximum that they could do. I mean, I, I don't know. Rob Manfred's the commissioner. He should be able to just ban people for life. You know, maybe they have like 
you know, pictures of like what he did last Sunday or something like, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they have something on him, but who, it's just, it's, it's just, it's a story of a story of a story. Um, last thing I do want to note here is, you know, we, we look around their roster, right? We kind of do need to talk about what to expect from them moving forward. I mean, right now, just talking very, very quickly, mm-hmm. off the top of my head, best teams in baseball, Dodgers, Padres, uh, Mets after this offseason because they have a lot of money to spend and they're going to spend it, uh, which, you know, as a Yankee fan, man. Um, the White Sox, who have a whole bunch of young talent, it's all coming mm-hmm. together, really excited about them and also kind of scared. Uh, and my Yankees, you know, and then behind them is, is the Astros as a kind of wild card because we don't know if they're going to find ways to cheat moving forward. We don't know how they're going to look moving forward they don't really have a catcher situation completely figured out their dh you know was putting up great numbers but he was putting up great numbers in triple a and the majors with the juiced ball in a year where we think they did a bunch of cheating but we're starting to realize that at least i you know what was very possible as they brought in you know their their new catcher or they brought in their new you know dh you know the the guy from the minors they brought in michael brantley their new left fielder you know they've brought these guys in that they've kept the cheating but only with the old guys which is why they still show up but they're not better than a lot of teams they're trying to disguise it it would make sense doing it with trusted bats because that was with within one of the reports that was released was that the astros only felt comfortable doing this system after a certain point with trusted players mm. so and that was actually reported so that could be that factoring in um and you know what but, this just brings up in my mind sorry conspiracy theory time go ahead conspiracy no let's, let's, let's hear it yeah so when you when you say that and you go oh like they're only trusting certain people now uh, this, this is my conspiracy theory <laughs> voice where they're only trusting certain people now it's like this all goes back down the conspiracy rabbit hole of uh, Taubman. So if it was someone on the inside that blew up their spot, there'd be reason to now looking forward, we're in 2021 officially, to only be using trusted people to do the cheating system because someone on the inside betrayed you. Yeah, speculate that someone speculation allegedly that someone on the inside betrayed you. Yes, that's just logical conclusion, dude. Conspiracy. Absolutely, I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh man, I love how it all ties in. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. It's great. Oh man. So their their center fielder uh, Springer, who was with them that year, he is gone. He's likely going to be a Met amongst with half the league, and Mets are going to sign everyone. (laughs) their new owner is so cool we need to do a podcast on that even i mean Mm -hmm. uh, what owner in baseball have you ever heard that just like talks to people about like oh you think we're only gonna do that just watch out on twitter like daily Mm -hmm. just chats with fans and be like watch out what we're gonna do next like who says stuff like that as the owner you know i love it i love it uh he's got more money to spend than like who knows you know so uh but yes uh Looking at this team, since Reddick is also gone, you know, the, the outfield situation is basically Tucker and they're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Tucker's a minor leaguer, just like that the DH that came up, 
was also a minor leaguer. So a lot of the spots don't have the guys that were with that team. However, if they keep their first baseman, Yuli Gurriel, uh, if they keep, um, and that's the other thing that I also wanted to mention, um, given the light punishments, why don't the Blue Jays start cheating too? Yuli Gurriel has a younger brother on the Blue Jays. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, that's your younger brother, you know? Like I have an older brother figure, like he's my godbrother. His parents are my godparents. Mm-hmm. He grew up with me. Uh, I would do anything for him. I believe his word, you know, like, again, like I'm at a point in my life where I question everyone at this point, mm-hmm. but like I'm 28 now. Okay. His younger brother's like four years, seven years, something like, I don't know how much younger than me he is. He's like 23, 24, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere in there. 20, 25 is like, I can't imagine him being older than 25, but when you're in those, those you know years where you're still establishing yourself and figuring things out, and your brother's like one of the biggest stars in Cuba and like has had big league seasons where he's been above average year after year and was like you know, World Series winner. No consequences. Oh, this must not be that much of a big deal. So it just makes you think, you know. But um, I did want to talk about yeah, He's still with the team. He's still their first baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuli Gurriel. Altuve still their second baseman. Correa is still their shortstop. And Bregman's still their third baseman. So... It's interesting. Uh, both sides of the infield, and this is like the, the, the main last thing that I'm going to leave you guys on. So stay with me here. <laughs> uh, the main, if you look at the left side, Bregman and Correa, they're young, they're strong, they're power hitters, they're patient. Uh, and they have to be, you know, if you go from uh, being in a place where you know what pitches are coming to not knowing what pitches are coming, you know, you get pretty dependent on like fouling off good pitches last minute and then just waiting for something you can crush. So, mm-hmm. of course, they're going to be these patience types that, like, hit enough home runs but, like, have terrible batting average, terrible luck on anything they put into play but still crank out high percentages of homers. Um, but, you know, also, Correa's young and Bregman's young. So being as strong as they are and being you know, capable of having these patient approaches, I do think it's cap- they, both of them are capable of, Continuing on their careers, even if it means, you know, a year or two of adjustment, mm-hmm. um, just because they're so strong that if you have a batting eye and you're that strong, at least until your physical body starts deteriorating, you can hang in the league as a mistake hitter. Someone who just hits home runs on 91 mile an hour fastballs down the middle and curveballs that don't curve. Um, so both of them could stay in the league. I do want to mention, however, that Correa's have been having back problems. I mentioned, okay, I did mention that in the last one about mm-hmm. how I have back problems too. Yeah, um, you did, you did. Yes. Uh, Correa has back problems and they come up all the time. So being a patient hitter, that means, you know, you have to very much wait, 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 get ready to swing and then not. Wait, mm-hmm. wait, wait. So it's building up tightness, tightness, tightness. And then when you do swing, you're, you're max efforting which is why a lot of people at that stage of their career who are the bigger guys, who are the more muscular guys, they start tearing things. So it's very possible that Correa will either break down or get injured to a certain degree where they'll have to move him to third. Mm-hmm. And Bregman's right now at third, but Bregman for years has been suggested as a guy who could play second. He's the body for second, athleticism for second. And he's still a very good player in his own right. I actually right now think Bregman's a little bit better than Correa. But Correa could, you know, get back to where he was to a degree. Um, I think I talked about uh, in the last 
one that we were like, there's one guy who could be 22% above league average, but mm-hmm. his approach makes it play down. Correa and Bregman, their approach will, will make their numbers play down. Uh, even though they'll, will put up homers. So there's mm-hmm. that, but the big thing, homers are hit on mistake pitches. So, uh, especially in this era where everybody's throwing so hard. Um, now we get to the other side of the infield. The older guys, the old ones, both of them are in their 30s. Both of them are very aggressive players. Now, patient hitters, they do well in the second half. That's when their, their swing is in you know, form and they're feeling healthiest and everything starts clicking because you know, going from not swinging to all of a sudden swinging, you don't have as much coordination unless you get enough swings in. So that's why it takes sw- switch hitters and patient hitters overall to the second half to really be contributing. But Altuve and, and, and Guriel, neither of these guys are patient hitters. So it's not like, you know, oh, in a 60-game season, they're not going to do well. But in the second half, they'd recover it. It's who they are. And both of them are like 30% each below league average at this point. I think that they're heading towards the stage of their career where they're done. Now, whereas Guriel, before he came stateside, was shortstop third base, and they forced him to play first, because they loved his contact tool. I think you could see him assume a sort of super utility role uh, for a different team if you're going to keep him in the league. Or a team could put him at DH and just let him only concentrate on hitting and possibly bat him like eighth or ninth or give him a ballpark that really works with him, like maybe Fenway. Uh, So there's ways of getting Guriel to possibly be still a good hitter. He's still fairly tall. He's got great swing mechanics. Um, Altuve does not have great swing mechanics. Altuve is like five foot four. Um, there's not room to put on like more muscle. He's not that great of a fielder. He's not that great of a base runner anymore. What do you do with him? You can't put him at first base because he can't hit. You can't move him like oh super utility because he can't play third or 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 short or the outfield. I think it's very possible that unless something miraculous changes with Altuve that he's gone from one of the best talents in the league to done from losing this system. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, like I do also think that with the body that Correa has looking back to the other side of the infield, that if Correa does go about being properly selective and can somehow keep his back healthy, I do think it's possible that Correa could have like a 35 home run season or, or a few of them coming up. It's just, you have to understand, like Joey Gallo has had like, I think a 40 homer season. You know, I think Sano had like a 30 something home run season. And both of those guys like strike out nearly 40% of their, their at bats. So mm-hmm. just cause you can hit home runs doesn't mean you can hit elite pitching approach tells you everything there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Astros suck. <laughs> I mean, understatement of the past two episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's literally an understatement. Oh, man. What a way to kick off our new year. Talking about I, yep. the most agonizing situation in, in, in the sport. It's, it's – why, Rob Manfred, did you not come down with the hammer? But yeah. I mean, it's a it's a new year. We're gonna see what happens. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if that much is gonna happen. But well, honestly, <laughs> if I if I'm being truthful, 
if the Astros start cheating again, they are still going to be watched for this. Mm-hmm. So unless they're doing some sort of system that is like insanely hard to pick up on, like, you know, the, the buzzer system, but perfected, you know, mm-hmm. unless they're doing something like that, which with as good as they did in the playoffs, it's, it's possible. Like Correa actually really hit in the playoffs. Um, unless they're doing something like that, I don't think that they're a top five team. I think that I think that they're probably the sixth or seventh best team if that happens. But right now, uh, my 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 best in each league are still if we're doing top threes with as much as the Rays have lost and the Rays just lost Blake Snell uh, and and a lot more than that. Uh, if we're going to go into that in a different episode, and I'll leave. Uh, yeah, this is a good this is a good one to leave you guys on because then we can go into uh, divisional rankings on like mm-hmm. a future episode. We'll just leave. Well, you know, why not, guys? We're going to do divisional rankings on the next episode. What you guys can, yeah, what you guys can expect from the teams next year in each division. Uh, right now, though, as of this episode airing, White Sox are one of the three best in the American League. Yankees are one of the three best in the American League. Astros currently are one of the three best in the American League. National League Mets, Padres, Dodgers. Not going to tell you what order, though. You'll have to check that video for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. Peace.